filling up this and I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden I'm filling up the black tank. I don't know it. I'm in the RV and I hear like, like a hissing sound. And all of a sudden I notice uh, some, some things are leaking, what's going on. So I run outside, cut the water off, come back inside. I still hear this, this like hissing sound and it's coming from the toilet. And I'm like, man, it sounds like there's a high pressure. So what do I do? My dumb self, I put my face over the toilet. Like I'm looking down the barrel of a shotgun and I, and I flush the thing to look down in there and see what's going on. And I just get hit in the face with all this water <laughs> and some other stuff. Oh my gosh, Peter, that was our dry run. I should have known. Hey, uh, <laughs> you got some stuff to figure out, dude. Howdy, who folks, and welcome to the In Search of Adventure show. I'm your host, Peter D, and I'm coming to you from the Adventure Club Room, where we reignite your curiosity for an extraordinary life, making sure you have all the skills in place to take back control of your own story. This episode, our action hero guest, Nick True, moved with his lovely wife, two dogs and two cats out of a perfectly good apartment into an RV where all six of them live and the two humans work while traveling around the US. Might seem like something of a challenge, but it certainly sounds like a wonderful adventure. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Nick True. Where are you calling in from? Where are you joining us from? Let's see. So right now I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee in the States. Uh, so that's where I'm at currently, but I'm visiting my in-laws here. Uh, I actually live on the road full time, which I'm sure we'll get into. Oh, I know. I'm so excited. Before we start, some people won't know what an Airstream is. So why don't you describe... Because I think actually once you describe it, they'll know exactly what you mean. It's a very distinctive look. But why don't you tell us what an Airstream is in actual fact? Yeah, so most people will call them a, a camper or a trailer. Mm -hmm. And essentially, they're going to be silver and they're long and skinny and they have no um, what RVers call slide outs. So it's just a simple kind of shotgun style uh, silver bullet that goes down the highway normally after a truck or something like that. So ours is about 27 feet long and okay. 180 square feet. So it's, uh, it's a good little size. And they're sort of retro looking, aren't they? Like they've got that sort of lovely oh, yeah. rounded shape. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yes. And I think Very retro. here in Australia, we call them a caravan. Um, and I reckon listeners might have seen them at a food truck. So there's some people that use them as food trucks because it's yeah. quite a distinctive, gorgeous looking thing. Way back before you guys decided to do that, um, what was your living situation then? So, so what was it before this part of the adventure? Yeah, so we were fresh out of college and we were living in an apartment, kind of in a city that was, I don't know, quarter million people. So not a big, big city, but not a small one. And just had an apartment kind of uh, about 15 minutes from downtown and pretty typical is about 1200 square feet. And, you know, we had the dog and the cats and, the, um, you know, the normal little life. We'd go to work and my wife went to school and we'd come back and we'd walk the dog and do homework and, um, you know, that was it. So we moved from the apartment into the Airstream. So we didn't, unlike some people who do it, we didn't have to get rid of a house or anything like that, uh, which okay. made it simpler for us. 
what was and do you remember what the first kernel like what was the thing that sort of sparked the interest was was there a particular moment when we went ooh that's interesting i wonder if we could do that yeah actually so my wife and i both love camping and we both love outdoors and hiking that's always been a big part of our relationship and something we were always involved with and at the time my wife was in uh, physical therapy school um, and I don't know if they have this in Australia, but one of the things that's pretty common in the States is for people in the medical field to do travel and to take travel positions. So my wife was in school and we were finding out about this. And I was like, huh, uh, that would be really cool if like you could get a travel job and, and if Nick could figure out a way to work remotely, <laughs> then we could, you know, travel. And at first we kind of actually counted it off because the vast majority of travel medical folks um, live in apartments or they'll do Airbnb or something like that. And they'll just move places for every three months. And yeah. that sounded really not fun to us because we really like having our space and a place that feels like our home. So we kind of talked about it and then was like, and eh, that, that's not really for us. And then I don't remember if it was me or her, but one of us saw um, on a blog and it was like, Oh, actually wait, hold on. There's people that live in RVs full time. We like camping and the RV would be like our own little home. We could fix it up and it would feel like our home no matter where we're at. So let's just do that. So that's kind of what sparked the interest. And um, it was about a two-year period between that conversation and, be and before we actually moved into it. Um, but that was the initial kind of how it started. Yeah, okay. And did you, did you find initially though it was like, you might have got sparked, but gone, ah, you know, that's just not going to work. You know, but it, it seems like a good idea, but in the real world, that's not what happens. Like, did that initially go through your head? Definitely a little bit, especially because at the time I was working a very like more typical job. I um, was working in an office in an older industry and there was nobody in my world that was, you know, working remotely. So we knew that we had to figure out how I could work remotely in order for this to happen. It was also one of those things where we didn't really tell anybody for like six months, um, you know, because we just didn't know what people think. And, um, you know, there's definitely a bit of fear because you're doing something a little uh, abnormal, doing something a little different. So I would say, yes, we definitely did. But luckily, both of us kind of I would say that when one of us was down, the other one was up, which was helpful. So when one of us was doubting, the other one was like, no, I think, no, I think we can do this. And, and then vice versa, which I think really helped to push us along. It can certainly, the weight of society's expectations. So it doesn't even need to be people saying anything. You just feel like that if you were to mention it, that they'll judge, not even necessarily judge, but just wonder what the hell you're thinking, you know, like, they, like, and it happens with a lot of things. We've really allowed ourselves to get caught up in sort of the, the, well, in Australia, I, I quote the three dreams that the financial institutions will let you have. So you can buy a house, you can have kids and you can retire. That's it. You know, so if it's outside that <laughs> spectrum, then forget it. You, you know, know, they're this, not interested. They don't want to talk. Up, this brings up a point, Peter, that uh, forgive me for going off the rails here, but no, this, no. this is actually something interesting. So I, I was talking with Hannah about this the other day and I was frustrated because, so we've been married for coming up on five years this year. And one of the things I was curious about is why is it like okay in society to kind of ask questions or push things that are massive decisions? So, you know, just like you said, everybody, you get married and people go, so when are you going to have kids? Or you, you know, you get kind of in your middle of your 20s and people go, so when are you going to buy a house? 
Yeah. And like, those are massively like humongous decisions that should be like thought through and not done on a whim. But we've decided that it's okay to pressure people into that. Whereas there's other things, you know, that are not okay to talk about, right? It's not okay to talk about, you know, going into debt or finance. It's not okay to talk about the fact that you might be overweight, you know, yep. and we've got these sensitive issues. I don't know. I'm getting off, off track here, but it, it does frustrate me that there seems to be these things that are big decisions, but it's okay for us to pressure people into them. And particularly the approach most people have, and they do it accidentally, and it's all done with love. That's the other thing is they're doing it out of concern, but but they bring a whole lot of, of opinion, often from a place without any experience. So, yep. so they have no background yep. in what you're going through. They've got no, it's not like they're an expert in it or they can bring insight, you know? And so they bring these and absolute answers. So it's not helping you talk it out. Like you, I'm sure we've all got friends. That's that great one. That'll just help you talk through your own thought process, you know, and they'll just draw you out. That's different. You know, somebody that you can almost use as a sounding board. Awesome. But lots of other people just bring these facts. Well, sorry, they're not facts, they're statements. And this weight of that and almost force you to defend your position. And it's, it's really interesting. And you're right, it's often for the biggest things that actually the ability to gradually think through them is far more valuable and important. Um, particularly something you know, like buying a house, getting into massive amounts of debt that we now do. I mean, Australians are obsessed with owning property. Um, we're probably one of the worst in the world and, and, you know, double whammy, it's super expensive here too. So yeah. I think the, you know, the average or the median in Sydney's ticked over a million dollars. So, you know, it is out of control money, right? And yet the, it's almost like it should just instantly happen, you know, and, and surely you want to do that. So I agree. I think then the more we can consider input, Absolutely, but sort of throw off society's expectations. I think the fuller life will live, you know, because it'll really be suited to us. You know, we'll have really thought about it and it'll be tailored to what we want to do. And I think you make an interesting point there. I want to go back to what you said around like finding the right type of people to bounce ideas off of. So I've got a couple of people in my life. Um, my wife and I do this very well for each other, but I have a couple of friends too that I can go to for just about any kind of big decision. And I know that they are not going to just immediately go like, yeah, man, that sounds great. Like you should totally do it. But I know they also won't be a naysayer. You know, yep. they'll offer critical feedback. And that's what you want because what we did and we, I mean, there were, Peter, there were people that we did not tell that we were like doing what we were doing until like two weeks before. I was like, oh, <laughs> by the way, uh, <laughs> because they're naysayers yeah. and they're just going to be negative and yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to, they're going to, you know, tell you that you can't do it. Yeah. So that's, that's no good. Um, yeah. You want to find people that w are willing to offer critical feedback, but aren't just, you know, negative. And I think um, what I've realized, given, you know, my husband and I, Nick and I live some, somewhat of a different life. We travel a lot and, and we both have our own businesses. And so it does sort of inform a bit of a different world is I find their reaction often says a lot more about them and where they're at. Often there can be envy or, gee, I wish I could do that. And that brings up anger. You know, like there's a, there's a lot of themselves in that reaction, very little to do with you, but it's easy to take it quite personally. You know, it's easy to see it as another negative mark or, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I have to admit, I've just sort of learned to turn it around and go, actually, unless they can give me some insight I haven't had. And sometimes a naysayer can, sometimes they can see something you can't see. So unless they give you that insight, it's like, you know what, lovey, that's more about who you are 
um, and where you're at and less about me, you know, and it's, it's hard to learn, but it makes such a difference and it's a bit freeing. <laughs> so you can get to that point. And when you, when you guys, so you've got the kernel of the idea, you sort of, you said it took about two years. So you sort of in that period, was there a guru or a mentor or some place that was the inspiration that you sort of went to for information or that sort of got you moving? Cause it clearly, it's not a small undertaking to go even from an apartment to an RV, you know, that's, that's a significant decision for all sorts of things. Who did you go to for that information? Yeah. So uh, there's, <laughs> this is, this is a funny joke that one of the guys I listen to likes to say where he goes, somebody asks a question, he'll go, okay, there's this great website. <laughs> um, write it down. It's called G O O G L E. Anyways, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, on a serious note, <laughs> On a, on a serious note, um, so RVing is actually full-time RVing is one of those things that is almost too widespread that I could give you any one name. Mm. What I can do is is what we found was that there are certain people out there who specialize in very particular things. So for instance, there's one couple, they run a site called Technomadia, and then they have another website called rvmobileinternet.com. And they are the guru on how to stay connected in internet on the road. And that's all they do. They just focus on the cell, the cell phone plans, the data, uh, how to hook up all these different gadgets and gizmos that are going to get you better cell connections and satellite connections and, and uh, solar panel and all this stuff. And they are the kind of the tech geeks of the RV world. And they have a, um, a fantastic website and Facebook group where they just, you know, they put out the best information on staying connected on the internet. So they're kind of our go-to resource for how to get connected on the internet, which is extremely important for us in our business. Then there's other people who, you know, might specialize in another thing who maybe they specialize in RV maintenance. And so we kind of follow them or for instance, with Airstreams and you'll find this once you kind of decide the RV you want, there's different little communities around that particular type of RV. That's so we hung out on the Airstream forums a lot to learn how to do certain types of maintenance and how to replace certain parts and how to do certain fixes because it was all these kind of Airstream geeks hanging out together. So that's what I would say is you got to kind of start broad and you figure out what type of RV you want. That's the hardest decision. You figure out that. You figure out if you're going to tow it or you're going to drive it. And then you figure out what you're going to do from there then you can start getting into the weeds and find certain people who are kind of the subject matter ex expert at one little specific thing. I mean, in this world of, like you say, Google, but it, in the, this world of the internet, there'll be somebody that there's just got it. Oh, yeah. There'll be at least one that has done some yep. of what you want to do or can help. Yep. Um, and I guess I'd argue that if there isn't one, you should be one, you know? So if you can't find Absolutely. any answers on what you're trying to find out, please start that website. But I would say Facebook groups are honestly have been some of the biggest help. We're in quite a few RV related and then some that are actually business and RV related. So people who work remotely um, and just being able to get into conversations and just literally ask questions and have dozens of people answer has been uh, immensely helpful. The last uh, little thing I would say on this is uh, find you a really good mechanic that you trust. Um, so that was probably the other key that really helped us is I'm very lucky in that um, one of my best friends from high school is a uh, diesel mechanic uh, in the Air Force over here. And all he does all day long is work on trucks. Uh, and so anytime I had a question about what I should look for, what I should buy, 
um, I was able to just give Evan a ring and that was uh, ridiculously helpful. So befriend a mechanic, that'd be the other thing I would say. And sometimes, we, and we're talking like a technical thing there and it can happen depending on your dream, that can be, it can be anything, but that when there's something deeply technical, I think we often make the mistake of trying to wade through that ourselves and you simply don't have the 10,000 hours to do that. That's the challenge is, is you could spend the next five years trying to simply understand that thing, you know, whereas you're right, if you can find that person that can cut through some of that, you know, that can just say, no, 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 you're focusing in the wrong place. This is where we need to do, or this is a one to yep. avoid, or it's almost like they narrowing the field for you, aren't they? In whatever their specialty is, it's just helps Absolutely. focus your energy or focus your time, even focus your money potentially, you know, where should yes. I spend, spend my money? So the RV itself, was that something that was, um, did you buy it new? Did you buy a second hand? So where did you get the RV? Yeah, so we um, bought a used RV. So it was 2007. It was uh, 10 years old at the time. We bought it in 2017. And then because we plan on living in it full time and RVs are not always made for living, um, we did do a couple big renovations to it. Specifically, the biggest thing we did is we actually ripped out the, all the couch area and put in a nice desk uh, so that we can actually have a place to work and have our awesome. computers and things like that. So, you know, that's one of the things that most RVers uh, don't need in that same way. So we took about nine months to renovate it. And partly we took our time because we weren't in a massive rush. Yeah. So. And that's an interesting thing. I think um, we can self-impose time restrictions on, on us. You know, we can say, oh, but I want to do it now. And we create stress, extra cost, unnecessary panic when if it isn't necessary yep. to rush it, why would you, you know, and renovating is an interesting thing, whether it's like you say, an Airstream or it's a home or it, no matter how big or small, you rush that stuff and you make some bad decisions <laughs> and you end up unwinding oh, yeah. them or, or having to start again, you know. And anybody who's ever renovated anything uh, can tell you that there's always going to be a snag. There's always going to be a hang up. You're going to get a part late. It's not going to be there. You're going to order something. It's going to be wrong. You know, you're going to get into it and you're going to figure out five other things that, that you got to fix along the way. Um, so you always want to give yourself a lot more time. Don't take an already stressful situation and make it more stressful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so did you find there was a point as you were going through this where you just hit a major roadblock? You know, it was just something that felt, wow, this is far more complicated than we thought. How are we going to get past this? Was there like a big sort of battle you had to fight there partway through? I don't know that there was one particular thing. I think actually what I'm going to say is uh, it was kind of death by a thousand cuts kind of thing right. um, in terms of the hardest part was the renovation ended up being a lot more expensive than we originally anticipated and we did a lot of work ourselves so like we didn't even have to pay for a lot of the labor because we we did it um but you just get into something and it's one thing here one thing there and oh that ends up costing this and oh we found this product that we love and would just be perfect but it's literally the most expensive product in that genre of thing and so then you're like yeah do I want to work the overtime hours to be able to okay okay, okay well yeah okay let's do it you know <laughs> um so I think that was that was probably the the major roadblock was just if I look back and see how much we spent on that renovation which I want to say I want to say was like in the $15,000 range US okay. dollars um okay. total that was just a lot more than what we originally anticipated. Now, I will, I luckily had a job at the time where there was always work to do and they were always happy to have my overtime. So yeah. that was kind of how we covered it. But 
Um, but it was a big surprise. And that was another, you know, kind of stressful hurdle of, um, do, you know, can we really do this? And, you know, is this wise? And all those kinds of questions. It is hard. And I think um, very few people have worked in an environment where they're project managers and therefore are good at setting contingencies. I mean, you see this when people get get married and the amount they end up spending and the amount of the blow up. But it's a similar thing. It's a it's like a skill being able to sort of manage these major things we embark on. And we never allocate enough to contingency. We just never do. We're optimistic people, right? And so yeah. the mere fact you're doing this is optimistic. So by nature, like, no, 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 we'll be able to do it for this small amount. <laughs> and you okay. know, those those bills just start coming in and it's <gasps> and of course you reach that point yeah. where do we need to pull the pin? Like, has this got to a point yeah. where we're going to be throwing, throwing, you know, good money after bad? So it's, it's hard, isn't it? And it's that balance between resilience and determination and making a smart call to get out, you know? So it's, it is really hard to, to sort of walk that fine line. Oh yeah. And it's, it's harder too, because as you and I both know, it's an emotional decision way more than yeah. it is a math decision. Yeah. Right. I mean, most of the renovation that we spent on, if I'm being honest, you know, maybe 10 or 15% of it was like, yeah, you actually need to do this uh, either for safety reasons or for something like that. The vast majority of it was, you know, we just wanted it to be our home that we loved. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so it was things that we chose to do. And so it's really hard when it's emotional. And and then when you particularly when you get in those Facebook groups and you're surrounding by you know these great communities, then then you see all this great stuff, you know. And so you're seeing, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? And what if we did, you know? And I, it was funny. I've just recently been chatting to a friend of mine who's sort of in project management and change management. And the two tips um, she gave me was, you know, your first cut at the budget or your first cut at what you're willing to do needs to view it as a zombie apocalypse version. So <laughs> the bare minimum the zombie apocalypse is about to hit, what would we do? You know, and can you live with that? You know, and so coming up with that really bare bone version and then also having a 2.0. So saying, yeah, that's gorgeous, but let's put it in the 2.0 version and push it out a few years and then we can upgrade at that point. She said, and so the combo of those two approaches can help sort of manage these building costs or these building excitement at the lovely laminate or the, you know, these choices we make that seem vital you know, and life ending if we don't have them when the reality is the zombie apocalypse would say we don't quite need that right now. No, not <laughs> quite. And it's, you know, that brought up another interesting thing. So the whole cool thing about the world we live in is the fact that we're on a podcast right now and someone's going to listen to this and hopefully maybe they're going to get inspired to do something or make a decision that they wouldn't otherwise have made. Yeah. The kind of catch 22 of that is that you now, because of the internet, you compare yourself to a lot more people. Yes. So what you said about the Facebook groups, on the one hand, without the internet, without blogs and without the Facebook groups, Hannah and I would not have had the gumption to move into an RV because we, I don't know that we would have thought it was possible. But yeah. being able to literally see other people around the world doing this, it felt very tangible and it felt like, well, we could do that too. On the flip side, you start comparing yourself to all of them. You start looking at their pictures on Instagram. You start looking at their thing and you go like, ooh, but ours doesn't look that good. So you do have to thread this little needle, right? You got you to yeah. walk this fine line of being inspired by them so that you do something different and unique, but not comparing yourself too much because – you, comparison is just the devil. It doesn't it doesn't ever help. Well, and I think they're they're starting to notice this um, in psychology generally now in the world is that the more we see these things, you know, on Instagram and other places, just general comparison, the less people do, 
which is really interesting, you know, so it's that it's, it sort of puts them in a state with no movement, no progress, no momentum, because it's, well, I could never be as good as that, you know, and, and in fact, right. And that's, that's in fact, the very point of the podcast for me is to see everyday people like you're awesome, you know, and we met in the stage and I think you're great, but you're an everyday person. This is, you're not somebody with many millions of backing or a family that can pay for it or, you know, this is not you, A-lister. Nick True, right? So, so it's an everyday person doing something really cool. And I think the more people can just see the normal people going out there and having great adventures, I think the better we'd be, you know, and, uh, you know, no filters and, and uh, no posing. It's just, hey, this is actually how it gets done. This is how we do it. For sure. Yeah. Now talk to me Love about, that. I'd yeah. imagine there's a transition that your fam- close family and friends had to go through. Like as you've sort of moved from being in one place where they knew they could find you uh, to, to being out on the road, has that been a transition for them? Definitely at first. Um, you know, my wife and I have spent most of our life in kind of the southeast of the States, okay, within two to three hours at most from family driving wise. So it's definitely been a transition at first, it's tough. Your your kids go away or your friends go away and they're off on these things. But I would say what's what's been fun for us is that we're actually seeing our family and our friends more in some ways than we were when we were living here. And that's because when we come back, we're spending more kind of focused time or more intense time with them. Yeah, and then also we're not having to work, and and when we were living here, we were in, we were both working and both in school, right. and so we didn't really see people all that much because <laughs> we were working all the time. Yeah, uh, and then the other thing too for both of our parents specifically is that it's given them excuses to travel to places that they never would have otherwise. So both of our parents have kind of been into the routine of you know you go to the beach once a year and you know do the the family vacation and you know and that's that's the trip the same beach same beach oh yeah (laughs) we go to the same beach for thirty years yeah Um, so (laughs) but it's been good so last summer in particular both of my and Hannah's parents uh, flew out to visit us in northern Montana which is just a beautiful part of the country and there's fantastic national parks and lots of hiking and cool mountains and neither of our parents would have gone there. I don't think had we not been out there and it made sense for them to come visit. So, um, you know, there's pros and cons. It's tough because we do go away and we don't see them for weeks on end, but it's cool because when we do see them, it's, it's a uh, focus and intense. So it's a balance like anything else. It is. And, and, um, I love the idea of them learning a new habit too, you know, so it's them learning they can cope when they travel. And, and I don't say that dismissively, lots of people, um, don't travel, not due to cost, um, or not due to, you know, not having a passport or anything like that. It's, it's the fact that it's, it's really such a massive unknown and, and they just think it's, it, they couldn't possibly cope with that. Um, you know, I've, I've known people personally like that and, and it's just simply a restriction they've placed on themselves. So for them to, because of you guys, for them to be out and start to learn, they can, you know, and it'll, it, you know, gradually they'll sort of broaden um, what they'll consider and what they'll do. And that is really exciting. You know, and it can factor into all sorts of parts of their lives too. It can factor into potentially the work they'd consider or the people they'd engage with, or like it really just starts to sort of open that world up for them, which is just fantastic. Yeah. And I would, that's, that's exactly the right way to look at it, you know, and we've actually even talked about some friends, I think this year are going to come and visit us this summer up in the New England area. You know, so it's the same thing. It's not just our family. It's, it's affecting our friends. And 
what, one of the things I like to say, Peta, um, so there's a famous quote by Jim Rohn, I believe, who mm-hmm. said, uh, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And that kind of quote really applies in all areas. It applies in health and fitness and finance, but it also applies in travel and hobbies mm-hmm. and all these other things. And you're just naturally going to be interested in the things that the people you're closest to are interested in. And so when one of, you know, somebody in your friend group kind of does something interesting or unique, it pushes the boundaries of your own mind to go like, huh, well, maybe I don't want to do that exact thing, but maybe I could go do this thing over here. So that's what I like about it. For sure. And I think most people aren't innate explorers. That's actually not for most people, that's not something they have in their DNA, but they can absolutely learn it by watching. And it's why stories and movies and the old parables are so important because it's learning that adventuring spirit. It's it's learning that action heroes really are the way to go. You know, this is it's just taking a step, doing something and, and leaping into it. That's really important. And so the more the people close to you are doing that, I think the more likely you're right, the more likely you are, you know, to sort of inspire them into um, taking some really, ex- and it could be any decision. It, it could be learning a language. It, it could be changing their careers, like the, the excitement they'll feel when they start to get out of those same pathways. And it doesn't mean that the same thing is, I mean, we were joking before about going to the same beach every year. My family did that for years and years and years, the same house at the same beach every year. There's good in that. There's comfort. um, There's relaxation in that, but there is other. And that's just the point. There are alternatives. And that's the thing to understand is make a choice between the alternatives. And even if that means you choose the same thing, that's okay. But you've chosen. Yes. So you know what you Yeah, we love that beach. Yeah. We still go back to it, you know, and we're happy. Uh, but yes, I love that. I love the idea of not falling into a habit just because that's what you've always done or the default, but yeah. that you're actually making a choice. Sometimes we look at it and we go like, no, actually, we want to go back to this beach on this house, on this you know, specific spot. And that's great too. It is, it is. And so you went through, you renovated the RV. Um, it's all shiny and new. Um, <laughs> how did it feel once you made that first move? Ooh. Um, <laughs> so if I'm being perfectly honest, which is, I, I hope what the point of this podcast yes. is about, um, the first couple of weeks were incredibly tough. Uh, they were in- incredibly tough. And one of the things we haven't really gotten into yet is the fact that we travel with four pets. So uh, in our in our airstream, we have two cats and two dogs that travel with us, and so that makes for a full house. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's another thing that you know some of the people think like you're going to do what? <laughs> um, so uh, let me, if you don't mind, Peter, let me tell this quick story, and I'll sure. try to keep it brief, but. We had a lot go wrong in that first week. And we, first off, one of the things I would have done different is we kind of procrastinated on the final renovations and we got off late on that first day. And so we ended up driving until about three-ish in the morning. And that was when we got into the campground. And there was some stuff that happened before that where like I had gone over some train tracks and sparks had flown up under the airstream and Hannah thought I caught it on fire and <laughs> she's yelling at me. And, yeah. you know, so we're, we're high stress. And when we pull into the, the camping spot and now I don't know if this is uh, how they have them in Australia, but uh, we were in South Carolina and we saw a, a pretty darn big spider on, uh, on the electrical plug, right. As we were plugging the airstream in and oh. so, you know, that freaked us out. And, We've got this high stress situation and then we realize we don't have any internet at this campground. So 
we are not going to be able to stay here because we have to have internet. There's no service here. So we go to bed after we get the cats and the dogs taken care of around four, knowing that we're going to need to wake up the next morning and immediately find a new campground. Yeah. All the while, this is, this is a Saturday night. My wife is going to be starting her first physical therapy position on Monday. So we, uh, <laughs> we get up, we finally find a new campground after a long day of searching and we decide, okay, let's, uh, let's go out and celebrate. You know, we are finally here. We've done the thing. Let's go out, celebrate, and then we'll have a good night's rest before you get up tomorrow morning. So we go out to a nice seafood restaurant right there on the river. And then we go to Walmart afterwards to pick up a few things and, uh, <laughs> forgive my, my, uh, my crudeness, but we, Hannah ended up needing to shop by herself and I found myself in the bathroom for most oh, of the, no. the time at Walmart. Oh no. So, restaurant. <laughs> oh, so we go back to the Airstream and Hannah's like, well, what's the deal? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, and we shared a meal. So we thought, yeah, you're probably fine then because it seems to only affect me. Mm. So we go to bed and all of a sudden, middle of the night, 2 a.m. in the morning, Hannah wakes up. And now she's in the bathroom and she's in the bathroom for a couple hours, um, all in the while knowing she's got to wake up around six and go to her first day. And keep in mind, Airstream bathrooms are tight, okay? Yeah. We're, uh, we're talking about oh. knees in your chest, you know, barely shutting the door kind of thing. All right. And so, so she gets up, she goes to work. I worked from the Airstream that day. You know, we're like, fine, great. Okay. T terrible weekend, but maybe things are finally settling down. Um, we go out to dinner that night. We come back and the cats have decided they don't like their new home and they have peed all over the couch <gasps> and the beds. Oh, all right. So strip everything, change the sheets. It's so crazy. It is so crazy. So to wrap this thing up, the next three days straight, we wake up and the cats have peed on stuff. Yeah. They're basically just pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they are not happy uh oh. it's not because they don't know the right thing to do they know where their litter box is they're, they're just, just making a they're making a fuss yeah so uh we ended up spending a few hundred dollars and did bought a jigsaw and a bunch of wood and did an emergency renovation and cut out a part of underneath the bed and we built them a little kitty kingdom put in a couple cat doors put in some nice padding basically just built them a little bitty home so they can get away from the dogs when they want to have their own space and uh, that's all the problem. No more pee. Wow. Um, and that fixed it. But, uh, but that first week was, uh. was pretty terrible. And we multiple times were wondering, what have we got ourselves into? Uh, what in the world have we done? Luckily, we pushed through. And the weeks after that got a lot better. And we've been in the RV now for over a year and a half. And we love it. But, uh, but there was a wow. bit of a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, look, it's really interesting. we big leaps like you've taken and yeah. it could be somebody moving to the country or it could be like these big things that are, that are quite significant changes is very rarely do we do a dry run, right? Very rarely do we go, let's do a mini version of this for a week. Let's just see to do, no, we never do that. Do we? We just go, no, no, no. Where are we going to embark on it? And it's like, Oh, maybe we should have done a dry and run. <laughs> And that brings something up. You know, now that you even say that, I don't even know why I forgot this part of the story. We tried a dry run and oh. it didn't, it wasn't great. It should have told you that, hey, you might want to try a different dry run. Yeah. The dry run we tried, I hooked up 
why is it always, it always includes this when it's an RV story. I hooked up the water line in the wrong spot. And instead of hooking it up to the normal spot where it feeds the RV, I hooked it up in the black tank flush spot, which the black tank is your, uh, your not good water yeah. out of your toilet. Yeah. So I start filling up this and I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden I'm filling up the black tank. I don't know it. I'm in the RV and I hear like, like a hissing sound. And all of a sudden, I notice uh, some, some things are leaking. What's going on? So I run outside, cut the water off, come back inside. I still hear this, this like hissing sound, and it's coming from the toilet. And I'm like, man, it sounds like there's a high pressure. So what do I do? My dumb self, I put my face over the toilet like I'm looking down the barrel of a shotgun. And I, and I flush the thing to look down in there and see what's going on. And I just get hit in the face with all this water and some other stuff. Oh, oh my gosh, man. Peter, that was our dry run. I should have known. Hey, uh, <laughs> you, you got some stuff to figure this out, dude. This is just too good, too good a story. This is insane. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you guys got through that as a couple, and I don't say that lightly, you know, those things yeah. really test you as a couple. Um, and the yeah. way you can react to that and come out the other side of it, um, you know, sense people with no sense of humor need not apply like if you can't at some moment in the future laugh at what's happened then you're never going to survive this stuff right because it's it's just it's nuts you know and you can't predict what it's what it's going to be nope you know like you say i mean in australia you're just as likely to get a huntsman spider to start crawling across the window and you and you reel off the road and you end up getting a flat and you're like i mean anything you know can happen and so it's the way we interact that sort of makes a big difference with that so that was much harder than you expected was there anything that was much easier than you expected that sort of surprised you um yeah, the uh, the space. I would say outside of that kind of difficult time, um, most people really freak out going like, how are you going to live in 200 square feet? And in reality, like, it's just not been that hard. We oh went God. through like a bunch of like Marie Kondo minimalism stuff and, you know, really kind of understood, hey, you really just don't need that much stuff to be happy. Yeah. And so one of the biggest things everybody thinks through is going to be hard is the small living has actually been probably the easiest part. Um, we have no issues at all with it. We love it. And we haven't gotten tired of the space. So yeah, I would say that's been much easier than anticipated. And I do think um, I've got this theory about space, whether it's, you know, where you're living or even a handbag, like you feel what you've got. And so you've got the big bag, you fill it, you got the small bag, you'll fill it. So, so um, what you've done is just forced yourself, you know, it's like, well, we've only got this space and you do adjust suddenly. I mean, so my husband and I love entertaining and lots of people. So we might even have 20 or 30 people over and in the house um, we previously had, I, I probably had, I don't know, 12 platters alone. Like that's just one type of plate. Like just like it's insanity. And we, we, a few years ago moved into an apartment while he started his business and we had to put all of that in storage and we've coped like the world hasn't ended, you know, (laughs) you adjust. Um, And so we do, we have this habit of just collecting, don't we? And it, and you know, we, we sort of, uh, lots of people make jokes about their friends that are hoarders. And we sort of say that's something that's funny. I feel, I feel like most of us are, most of us have a bit of that tendency, you know, where we collect, um, and potentially things that we won't even touch again and yet associate great value with them. Oh, I can't throw that out. It was, you know, it cost a lot or I can't throw that out. It's like, really? You've never used it. You know, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and you and you won't even remember it. That's the no. thing. We have downsized 
twice after we moved into the Airstream, like even more because it's like, we don't use this stuff. Yeah. So we've even gotten rid of things, you know, even more so since then. And I have no clue. We have filled up so many trash bags full of donations and stuff. I have no clue what was in it. I can't remember a single thing. <laughs> so yeah, you're totally right. We fill up, we fill up any space we're given. That's exactly right. So, so cool. So I, it sounds like despite it being a bit challenging, I mean, you're still living in the RV, right? So this is something you're doing and you, you intend to do for a while. Like this is the, you don't see a, a really short term change in that for you guys. Yeah, no, we really love it. And there's so many places in North America that we still really want to get to. So yeah. I think we'll be in it at least for another three years, possibly even another five years. Um, we're still really young and, and kids are a ways off yet. So yeah. um, and not to say you couldn't, there are plenty of RVers who, who have kids and travel. Um, so, you know, that's always an option. But yeah, I think another three to five years or something like that. I love to dig a bit further back and to understand sort of, you know, when we were really dreaming, sort of superhero dreaming and doing it really well when we're kids, you know, when we sort of lose that when we're adults, I'd love to know what your childhood dream was, you know, maybe something you wanted to be when you grew up. Do you remember even what that was? Yeah. So I went through a couple phases. Um, let's see. So the first phase was probably just what my dad did, which I think is maybe true for a lot of kids. Uh, my dad built houses for a living or currently still builds houses for a living. So I grew up around that and thought, you know, I, I want to be that growing up. And I actually remember when I think Halloween, I dressed up as my dad, uh, you know, and my mom painted a beard mm -hmm. on and, um, you know, awesome. and, and I had a tool belt and the whole thing. Uh, a little later after that, I decided I wanted to be in a rock band and be a famous musician. So, uh, and I fed that dream for quite some time all the way through most of high school. And then uh, finally I came to the realization that I, that wasn't going to work out exactly like I thought. So I needed to figure something else out, but yeah, the, the rock band musician life was something that I, I wanted to pursue for quite a while. And what instrument did you play? So I played piano and then I also played guitar and I okay. played in, um, yeah, I played in a band where I would kind of switch back and forth a little bit depending on what was needed. And we're sort of talking rock here, not now. It's not pop or, or sort of another genre. It was it was sort of some some serious rock that you guys wanted to play. Yeah, well, so I wouldn't say serious rock. I would, so at that time, that would have been that <laughs> would have been like late ninety, well, early two thousands. So punk mm -hmm. rock was the genre of the of the uh, the time, and that was really what we were mostly trying to play. It was, uh, I, I say, a Blink one eighty two wannabe um, was was our was our gig. That's awesome. Well, in fact, this very weekend, so so after we finish up this interview, I'm heading to a concert uh, in the Vines at the Hunter Valley, and it's actually in a, sort of an old school rock concert. So it's got Joan Jett, it's got Richard Clapton, The Living End. Yeah, so it's going to be That's really be cool. cool. Also, yeah, and we've got some sort of old school Aussie rockers too. So uh, Jimmy Barnes and Johnny Diesel, who are sort of, um, you know, they're the ones that everybody knows the words and we all scream at right. the top of our lungs and get half the words wrong. You know, that sort of yep. Oh uh, yeah. Concept. But you're, you'll claim yeah. you're getting all the words right. So that's what matters. <laughs> of course I'm getting them right. Of course <laughs> you are. I have no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt. <laughs> now, yeah. so, so I'd love, before we sort of wrap up, then I'd love to know you've embarked on what is actually a really big adventure, to be honest. This is not a small, hmm, tomorrow I'm going to move into an RV. Um, is there something else that you got, you or the two of you have that's a dream for you now, that now that you've done this one, that feels a little bit far off, feels a little bit tough, but is something you'd love to do? 
Yeah, I mean, so there, my wife and I are always dreaming. We're always talking about the future and dreams and things we want to do together. And so, I mean, there's so many that I could choose from. And to be honest, be, after you kind of have done something like this, a lot of those other dreams start feeling a lot more attainable, yeah. um, even if they're different, because you've, you've already kind of broke the mold a little bit. Yeah. So there's there's different dreams, you know, around my wife would love to start an antique booth and really, you know, make that something she does and do a lot of antiquing and things like that. But maybe the one to answer your question, the one that maybe scares me the most um, in some ways and excites me is my wife and I feel very strongly about adopting kids in the future. Mm-hmm. And so and that's a big part of kind of what we feel called to do and and um, what we feel led to do and. And we know is going to be a big part of our life at some point. So uh, we don't know what that's going to look like, how old they might be, you know, if, if we'll do the foster system in the U.S. first. And then I, we have no idea. Um, mm. there's, there's lots of details to work out there. But um, that's one thing we know is going to be, uh, you know, down the road for us is adopting kids. And, and so when you read about that, you realize that's all, you know, kids are a, a, an adventure all of their own. And then oh, uh, when yeah. you are talking about <laughs> adopting yeah. kids, that can be a different, a different adventure too. So uh, in some ways that's exciting. And in some ways it's scary because just like in the RV life, you, you know, I'm sure there'll be moments where it's what in the world do we get ourselves into and, and, you know, all those kinds of questions. So. Yeah. With kids, it's, um, you sort of stop being lead adventurer and you become a passenger somewhat. So <laughs> of what's going yeah. on, it's like, I'm on this roller coaster. Oh, well, let's see where it takes us. You know? And I guess that's the best things are like that, aren't they? The best, the most rewarding thing generally are the scariest. You know, they're the ones that you sort of hesitate before you start. Oh, well, that's a fantastic dream. I really really grateful for you to coming on the show um, and for being my first, which is very exciting. Um, it was lovely to speak to so. somebody that uh, I feel like is a, a, a bit of a brother so. from another mother. We both approach things in a sort of adventurous way. Um, now they can find out more about you guys and what you're doing at the Mapped Out Money blog. Is that right? Mappedoutmoney.com? Yep, that's it. So mappedoutmoney.com, that's kind of our home base. And you're on Instagram. Oh, and you've also got some great YouTube videos too. So that's all under the Mapped Out, Out Money brand which is as we were talking about before we started recording where basically that's that's your source of income almost your primary source of income now for both of you which is really exciting to get to the point where you literally can be anywhere and do what you want to do so look thank you so much for sharing your adventure with us nick this has been really fun and went all sorts of places which i love um i knew we would um but um you know, keep on dreaming big. Um, and of course do more, live bigger, you know, and really enjoy living that life. And I can't wait to see the map of where you guys have been after two years out. Yeah, we're excited. It's going to be a fun few years and, you know, I don't know that we'll get our airstream over to Australia, but you know, one of these days we're definitely planning to do some adventures down there too. So. Oh, we can't wait for you to come. I'm sure we've got a big long list of things that you guys can explore. so many gems in that conversation with Nick, um, one of which we are actually going to draw out in just a moment during our action tip segment. However, I did quickly want to focus on something Nick said right near the end there. As we were chatting about what his next big adventure might be, he pointed out that once you've sort of taken the leap with something fairly big like his RV adventure, then a lot of other dreams that might have seemed maybe a bit tough um, actually start feeling a lot more attainable. 
So it really is about simply getting started by building a dream list and then committing to turning those dreams into real life adventures one at a time. Now, if Nick's adventure inspired you particularly, then head over to the show notes where we'll make sure we include all the links to the groups he mentioned and, so, and any of the other information we may have come across, along with all of his appropriate social handles so you can follow on with his adventure into the future. And if you enjoyed the interview and want to be sure to know about new ones as they go live, then be sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite platform. Up next in our action tip segment, I'll be joined by the stupendous Hayley Pierce, where we dive a little deeper into one of the other interesting behaviours that Nick's adventure highlighted, and one that can completely derail us as action heroes if we're not super careful. So Hayley, I just chatted to Nick True about his wonderful Airstream adventure, and it just made me think about something we all do to each other or ourselves and our partners and our family and our kids now that I think about it, where we get so excited about a big adventure we've got coming up, we bring it forward and create this extra tension for ourselves. Have you ever done that? Have oh, you ever- 100%. And I think it's a lot around setting a due date. Like it's, I will do this by then. And by setting that day, you've almost celebrated the feeling of when it actually will happen. That's true, isn't it? It's almost done. Like, I'm like right, I'm going there. It, holidays are like that. Literally last night, Nick and I just booked some holidays for beginning of January. Nice. And having done that, in my head, I've all, almost already gone. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it is true. And so when your your head's already going, well, that's happening, happened, I'm in it now. Yeah. And the challenge with that is as it gets closer to the date and particularly with big adventures, whether that's a trip or a move or one of those really big ones is therefore there is this sort of drop dead date and things start getting jammed up against it. And so something that should be really good can start to become really stressful. I think we, by sticking to that, that burn due date, it's, it's putting that pressure on ourselves and it's learning. I mean, some things need a, a firm due date, um, but there are other things that maybe it needs to be a little bit more flexible. Well, and maybe, maybe not so arbitrary. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I want to move. Okay, I'm going to move by April. Really? Why? Like, <laughs> but that often is the case. Yeah. And we and it, our instincts are, and I think there's a lot of this in social media where you should set dates, like you say, yeah. goals, date. But what we don't say is we should set a smart date or a logical yeah. date, like really think about it. You know, and so to me, maybe there needs to be the, I wish I could do it by date, but then the, mm, but if it has to take a bit longer date yeah. and understand that maybe there's a range a there. A range or yeah. even like a soft opening. So right. this is when I'd love to do it, but I'm going to aim for a bit before it just so I've got something to work with. Right, because it's all pressure we place on ourselves. Yeah. This is not external. It's not real in that sense. And when it comes to things like adventuring, it's completely up to us. Only we really know the due date unless we're running around shouting it out. Yeah. Um, I think when we we talk about these due dates, it's about, you know, what time frame. It's not necessarily a specific date. Again, unless something that is, I, I can't even really think of a specific adventure that requires a, uh, a time right. date, date no and it's funny I mean even um even with things we've always wanted I had a conversation recently um with a friend who's always wanted to go to Italy and they decided that they wanted to go in summer uh, I'd suggested that it can be a little insane in Europe in summer but that's okay <laughs> but 
she was really focused on next summer and had created this panic about how she was going to be ready to do that. And I said to her, you know, you could do the summer after. But, you know, and instantly in her head, to her, if she couldn't make next summer, it was almost like she wasn't going to do it at all. It was just an interesting trick we play on ourselves. And the, the strange thing about that is we make this wonderful thing become negative. Yeah. That's, and that's a shame. But I wonder if part of the, the power in is maybe not setting a date, but is keeping it to yourself. Yeah. Um, not not speaking about something before it's actually eventuated. I think there's definitely joy in talking about the excitement of a holiday or what's coming up, but do we really need to um, let everyone know when something's yeah. happening? I think there's an element of accountability when it comes to something that's a challenge, sure, if you need that. Yeah. But I think when it's talking about adventuring, um, don't put that unnecessary expectation on yourself Correct. for a due date if, if it's not needed. And talk it through, like actually do a bit of digging. Yeah. Go and look, look, is this reasonable? Can you pull this off? And if you are digging and nobody else ever has pulled it off in that time frame, question why you would do that to yourself. Yeah. Now, maybe you are driven like that. Yeah. You know, you're one of those batshit crazy people that really responds to that. Fantastic. But most people, I actually think you'll turn something really good into something not so great. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, and I've done this to myself almost every time I go overseas, as we were just saying, um, and I, I do travel a lot, but every time there's some random things that appear on my to-do list just before I go that suddenly I want to have tidied. It'll be, oh, I should really, what I'm going to do is get my tax return in early or what I'm going to do is for some reason I add all these things. Right, you eat. There's no reason to do that before you go. It's not even related to that trip, but suddenly this trip has attached to it all these other things you've got to do. I guess the lesson out of that then is, look, if you do need a due date, put a buffer in. Yeah. Give yourself that time frame that, um, and weddings are such a big one for this. Right. Such a long lead time that you go, ah, oh, this is great. You know, I've organised it. And now I've got to wait the 10, 12 months until the date arrives. But the last two or three weeks before <gasps> it is utter mayhem. It and is. you can be as organised as you like, but there's just stuff that pops up. Yes. So allowing yourself that buffer time of, oh, crap, what's going on? I don't know what to do. Yeah. That, that. Um, makes the expectation of the due date not as heavy. Yes, correct, correct. And recognising that there's planning skill here. It's yep. a skill. We've got to practice it. We've got to be get better at it. Maybe reflect a bit on how you went too. And even working out whether a long a long due date is beneficial. Yeah. You know, because so many things can change within that time. I think it's, it's so good to have a plan. Uh, an action plan is so important. But anything over 12 months has got to be little bit loose yeah because you Who have knows? no idea what no. could happen in that time Positive new job correct it could be anything new partner new, new job Absolutely. whatever and it can completely change it I, I so agree um all right folks so have a think about that with our adventures let's make sure and i will commit to as well <laughs> making the kickoff of this of these adventures nowhere near as stressful because we are doing it to ourselves nobody else is <laughs> so let's knock that um stress monkey off our shoulder and try and really enjoy the start of these adventures i'm hoping that our chat so far have got you all revved up to head out and start living life like an action hero if that's the case i really encourage you to head over to the adventure club room which is actually our private facebook group and is basically a support group for action heroes in training just like you the link to the group is in the show notes, or you can simply search for Adventure Club Room when you're in Facebook. 
Next up is our popcorn adventures segment where we take a bit of a pivot from our everyday action heroes like Mick and look to fictional action heroes in movies to see if, you know, maybe they inspire any dreams we may have forgotten to add to our list. And we also debate whether they in fact measure up as action heroes at all. Our movie today sits comfortably in my top 10 favourite movies of all time and its selection was actually inspired by Nick's life on the road. The movie I'm referring to is Mad Max Fury Road. My world is fire and blood. Everything is dependent on oil. We are killing for gasoline. The world is almost out of water. 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 Now there's the water wars. wars. Here they come again. Everybody's gone out of their mind. Out here, everything hurts. You want to get through this? Do as I say. Now pick up what you can and run. Well, that was the trailer for Mad Max Fury Road. It's <sighs> a bit exhausting. Uh, crazy stuff. That was released in 2015. Haley, for starters, that feels... 2015 is like four years ago, nearly five. Mad Max Fury Road feels like it was more recent than that to me. It does. And I think it's because it's such an iconic action movie, right? Right. I mean, George Miller, director, for those of you who don't know, is clearly insane, but... <laughs> But what a movie, what an action movie. I just can't even begin. Let me start for to, just to, to nudge the memory of those of you that maybe didn't see it or don't remember. The IMDb description for Mad Max Fury Road is, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a woman rebels against a tyr- tyrannical, tyrannical, tyrannical <laughs> ruler in search for her homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshipper and a drifter named Max. Now this got 97% in Rotten Tomatoes and that does not surprise me. This for me was basically a perfect movie. Absolutely. And it had such a, it was going to be massive hit or miss, right? Because it's coming off the back of three absolutely iconic movies. Although the third one was a little bit meh, meh. but the, the whole concept. Um, so for it to be so many years later and to come out with its own storyline, but keeping all the traditional elements of Mad Max, I think was fantastic. And even introducing um, a character like Furiosa, like bam, just, just. amazing. And I think... It's really interesting. There's been a few movies in the last few years that have had these female characters that actually are badass. Like we had uh, Linda Hamilton's character in Terminator 2, but since, and that was years ago. Since then, often 
the protagonist that's female is an also end. And also she's not like the toughest character there. And I could argue in this movie, like Furiosa really is hundred percent right ballsy and really tough. And so and it would have been so hard when you think about Mad Max, this, this character that is just bashing heads, angry, savage sort of thing to put a female lead next to that. It's either compete or, make her look sexy right and she led um she had to be as strong as mad max she had to be as tenacious as vigorous all of that sort of stuff and i she absolutely was um both in each in their own elements and i think that made for two really amazing characters but absolutely fear furious just takes the cake for me she does and and I, like you say what i loved is that you weren't convinced who would win a fight out of the two of them yeah like that was a there was absolutely even stevens and in fact there was a moment in the movie where he's trying to shoot something and realizes she's going to take the better shot and hand yeah. over the gun to her. And so I'm like, this is awesome. It felt so good. Now on the show, um, we're all about helping you add things to your list and inspiring you into sort of living a, a big life. And so I wanted to start with whether there was any, anything in the movie that sort of inspired you to add something to your list or reminded you of something on your list. Was there anything for you, Haley? Definitely two things. So getting out into the desert more, um, I know mm. some of this, this film was shot in uh, Outback Australia. Um, that would just be amazing to, to go out and be in a location where you, all you can see is sand or not much, just <laughs> completely different experience. But the second one was, um, it's a bit left field and I guess it's just inspired by the movie, but just being able to build a car or a piece of machinery from scratch mm, a lot of the um a lot of the vehicles or machinery in this movie um just completely haphazard it's 14 different machines put chucked yeah. together with some skulls and all that sort of yeah. thing and that's uh, in this movie i love the fact that i'm sure there was some green screen involved but a lot of the you know cars flipping blowing up that is legit yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I can definitely change the, the tire on a car if I'm stuck, but imagine just being able to use your, your, your hands to create a piece of machinery from scratch. Like that is on, that is on the dream list. Definitely. And in fact, for me, both of mine were, aside from just like you, the maybe center, seeing more of the center of Australia, I, there's a whole part of, I've probably seen more of the world than I have Australia. So there's a whole lot of those things to add yep. onto the list. The other two though, for me were it confirmed my desire to own a muscle car, which has, yeah. has been on my list for a while. So, <laughs> it has. so it only bumped that Mustang further up the list. Um, and secondly, I have always had this, this curiosity about going and seeing NASCAR. Yeah. And to me, I mean, we have, you know, V8 races uh, in Australia, I've loved that. I've actually been and done that already. And I'd love to go to what I imagine is the madness of NASCAR. And I'm sure it's nowhere near as mad as Mad Max, but it just felt that same sort of chaotic V8 sort of 100%. rumbling environment. Yeah. I feel like a muscle car, NASCAR, all that sort of stuff, being in an environment where you can feel the engine in your yeah. chest, um, the heat of the road, all of the engine, all that sort of thing. That's it's such a manly thing maybe for a female to say, but I just love that element. And look, put me in a car. I could probably would maybe push it to get to 120 Ks an hour <laughs> and then I'd freak out a bit um, for my own safety of any passengers with me. But just to tear up a road in a really bang out car would be epic. Yeah, I think so. And in fact, another one that I'd 
you've just reminded me is, is adding that sort of um, defensive driving, more sort of adventurous driving courses. You can do that, go out and do yes. that where they teach you to drive like a race car driver. I know, so that, they do that in Sydney a lot. They do. Right. So I think that I'd love to add that to my list too, because I think that would be super cool. Now, in terms of then, if so that's the movie itself. Uh, clearly, we both really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're here to give people insights into being better action heroes. Um, yeah. And so one of the things we want to do for you is actually assess one of the characters in the movie um, for their action hero status or, in fact, finance action hero. So for us, this is about somebody who's, you know, maybe an everyday person, but they're sort of meeting challenges and overcoming them by taking action. And in fact, potentially even taking action in relation to their money, you know, and so really getting on top of that so they can go out and live as many adventures as they like. So I think it's only appropriate that we, um, that we assess Furiosa. I just, she's just, yeah, I want to be her when I grow up really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's incredible. She's badass. He is. And it's really interesting. She, at the beginning, when I rewatched this movie, I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's just, maybe she's just the blow them up sort of action here. And I mean, is it really, is it really um, something that we should celebrate in terms of what our listeners can, can really get a, a handle on? But interestingly, she's got a lot of planning in what she does, you know, like she's got the kill switches in the rig. So only she can drive it if she ever Absolutely. gets attacked. Yeah. You know, she's got weapons hidden everywhere all over that rig like the contingency planning by Furiosa is pretty impressive absolutely it might seem like it's a bit all over the shop um but there is purpose to what to every single thing that she does and whilst things might not be going to plan the fact that she's got backup things to deploy uh helps her out massively there's um a really good line in the film where uh, Mad Max says you know what what are you doing this for and um she and she says oh you know these girls they're looking for hope and he said well why are you doing it and she goes redemption Mm. and I think that purpose she knows exactly why she's doing all of this and when it comes to managing your money stuff um having something that you're working towards makes everything easier it makes those day-to-day decisions it makes long-term decisions all of it easier and you know as the purpose of the show um, your purpose could change. You can have, you know, a short-term purpose or a long-term purpose, um, but it's important to have something. Definitely. And it relentlessly drives her, you yeah. know, and, and I'm convinced that she may not have made it as, as far if it was something that she was a bit iffy about, right? She wouldn't have taken those risks. She wouldn't have, have sort of pushed as hard as she did. So I completely agree. And I think um, what she she also does, she really represents that characteristic for us of, of finance action heroes, which is questioning the norm. Like just because yeah. society says this is what I should do, that doesn't mean I should. And so she's saying, no, I don't think women are only breeding machines and machines, um, you know, and, and I, as a female, I'm going to, you know, take this rig and cross the desert. And so I think she's a perfect example of that. Um, and she sort of, yeah, defiantly says, you know, you cannot own a human being. Um, and so I thought, you know, she really, for me, there was a whole lot of other things in the movie, but I thought she really encapsulated that it may be a big thing. It may be even a risky thing, but you can attack it with relentless drive and a bit of planning and, and focus and you can get it done. Sure. And I think you look earlier in the film, they sort of explain the history of Furiosa, all the trauma that she went through. And I think when it comes to money stuff, um, we sometimes make mistakes, 
Um, we don't do it perfectly. And I think it's important to be able to use that to go, okay, I now know I can do better. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to let this situation define um, how I now manage my money for the rest of my life. It's not going to be okay for me to be crappy with money because I've always been crappy with money. Yeah. Work out why you should be better with money and then work towards that. Don't yeah. hide behind the mistakes. Exactly. Own it and then move forward without a doubt. Uh, but now- don't shave your head and then spray paint <laughs> in front of your forehead because... I mean, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you be you. <laughs> it might hinder impossible employment opportunities, but that's okay. <laughs> I think the, the wonderfully captured insanity in this movie, like I just think they got insane perfectly. You know, I like think they really... actually, they got insane and they're like, let's just push it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Lift it to 11. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So now I know this probably seems like a strange connection to our guest interview with Nick True, you know, but I guess I saw this as what he's doing is heading out on the road. And I saw Mad Max Fury Road as the yeah. on the road, the ultimate sort of road movie. Um, so how would, out of 10, what would you rate Furiosa as a finance action hero? Oh, it's got to be up elements. there. It's got to be up there. I'm going to say a nine. I'm going to say a nine. Um, I'm going to say a nine. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think I'm probably, I'm probably an eight. I think, I think she's pretty, I mean, well, she's awesome, but I think she's pretty good. I think she probably, there's some elements of planning. We don't, I guess, see, um, yeah. And there is a lot of reactive stuff and we don't really see how she relates to money all that much. Although she does some good deals with guzzling, as they say, <laughs> um, but she is either way, eight or nine, she is an, an awesome character. And I think somebody that we could tap into the essence of that sort of relentless drive. Absolutely. To really Channel your of- Furiosa. Exactly. Get onto <laughs> our adventures. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, young Haley, And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Love this episode of the In Search of Adventure show? Then make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. We love all feedback, so please don't be shy. And we'd love to hear about what's up next for you because there's an adventure story out there simply waiting for its action hero to step up. And I'm pretty sure that action hero is you.